0: Good evening, we are going again this evening to spend a considerable amount of time in the Old Testament. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles back up to Genesis. As we read this uh, just a few minutes ago of Abraham, or Abram, and we recognize Abraham as a a generation that was known as the patriarchs. And when we think of the patriarchs, a lot of names likely come to mind. We we think of Abraham, a man of faith. We think of the the faith that he had to offer up his only son, Isaac. And thinking of Isaac, we we think of him as well, the son of promise. You might even think of Jacob, the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. all, All these men that we commonly think of when we think of the patriarchs. But... There's another uh, another man that that comes to my mind when we are thinking about the patriarchs, and that's Joseph. Joseph. We don't commonly uh, don't don't always attribute him to the patriarchs. He's getting close to that that edge of where we're moving into the tribe of Israel. We're going to see it start, or the uh, the nation of Israel. It's going to be uh, created very soon, but he still is kind of this area that we would consider the patriarchs, and. I want to take a moment this afternoon, uh, and we won't spend a great deal of time doing so, but I want to look at the character of Jacob. I want to look at the character of of him and his nobility, the the priorities and and purity of his heart and his life. And and I want to look at how he was so many things, how he was a, a brother, how he was a slave, how he was a ruler. Um... And, and really just kind of get a review, a review of the life of Joseph and, and how we can be reminded of the wonderful character displayed by this man of God. And we often think of a man after God's own heart as David, but there's so much still that we can be learned by Joseph, who, who can truly be claimed to, uh, to be a man of God. To begin, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. In Genesis chapter 37, we're introduced to Joseph. And the first thing we see is that Joseph is a son. He is a son in the land of Canaan. And right off the bat, we see that Joseph is not Mr. Popularity. In chapter chapter 37, in verse 2, we read, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was, was with the sons of, of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, in... in my son's language, they would say Joseph tattletaled. Joseph ran and told his dad what his brothers were doing. Not the best way to get on your brother's good side, uh, but to make things even worse for him, his father played favorites. Joseph was the favorite of, of the sons. As we read in uh, in verse three through five, go or three through four, going on, it talks about how Joseph was not only his favorite, but he made him the special garment. He, to signify, to set him apart as his favorite. And it's here that we see in the latter part of verse 4, we're talking about his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. We see there's some real resentment here. Not only did they hate him, they can't even talk to him without this hatred kind of bubbling out. But then things just they continue to get hard for Joseph because it's bad enough that his brothers don't like him because he's tattling on them and it's bad enough that his brothers don't like him because he's his dad's favorite but now he's, got, he's telling his brothers I'm having these dreams and you all are going to bow down to me I'm going to be greater than you and you can just kind of see this is the, the camel that, or straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. His brothers just, uh, have I had enough? I can't take this anymore. And we, they, they talk about killing him. And eventually, as we see in verses 12 through 36, they, they sell him into slavery. What's interesting that uh, just in this idea of being sold into slavery, he's actually spared by Reuben. He's spared by room, and he says, I'll come back and I'll, I'll free him from this pit later. But, but in the meantime, we see Judah. Uh, we can read these in verses 26 and 27. Judah is it who suggests him be sold into slavery. So that's what they do. There's some just some interesting things that we can see at the beginning of Joseph's life. But it, while still in here, in this point, we can also see that not only was he uh, hated by his brothers, but we see that even throughout that, even though his brothers were were... So bitter to him and mean to him, he remains faithful to his father. In Genesis 37, verse 13, we read, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he says, Here I am. kind of the idea of saying, Whatever you're asking of me, I'll do it. Just as you wish, so to speak. You know, there's a time when children will oftentimes rebel against their parents to get their brothers or their siblings respect. And, uh, we, you know, Joseph was an excellent candidate for this. He really lacked the respect of his brothers. And I, we could understand almost if he would be wanting that so bad to even possibly rebel against his father. But we see that even through this, he remains faithful to his father. Now, one might think that through this ill treatment, through the the separation from his country and his own kin, this would produce a real bitterness in a person. I I mean, I could understand that. How I would feel, if this was me, I would feel hopeless. I would feel lost. But yet, we see that the character of Joseph continues to really shine at this point when he's going through his life. Because next we see Joseph as a slave in Egypt. And in fact, we see in, in, verse, or in chapter 39 that even though he's going through this hard time, God has continued to stay with him, and God has continued to bless him. He finds favor in Potiphar's eyes. In, in verses 1-6, through 6, we read of that, how, how he, is, he has found favor in Potiphar's eyes, and, and though he is a young man, he doesn't have a lot of experience, he proves himself to be very industrious, very trustworthy. And in fact, he, he's made the best of a really bad situation. He, he is, He's grown in, in favor in Potiphar's eyes to the point where Potiphar has placed him over so much. But as seems to be the, the running uh, course of, of Joseph's life, trouble is always right around the corner. We see in verses 6-20, uh, through 20, but later, especially in the last part of verse 6 of uh, chapter 39, that Joseph was handsome and in inform, form and appearance. He was particularly good looking and especially amongst the eyes of Potiphar's wife who tries to, to seduce Joseph. And uh, As we talked about in class this morning, she doesn't try this just once. She tries this over and over again trying to tempt him. Um, but he resists. Uh, and and it's what's interesting to me is he resists for two reasons. In verses 8 and 9 we read, "...but he refused and said to his master's wife, "'Look!' My master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There's an interesting thing that I see here about Joseph. Joseph realized that not only was he... Possibly facing a sin against God, but that he had been entrusted with great, uh, great things from his master, from Potiphar, and this would be a, a devastating sin against Potiphar. Joseph looked at man and saw how he had to have this; he had to have a certain relationship. He saw that he had a, a responsibility to his fellow man and to God. And then we see that her advances being, being spurned, they weren't, they weren't successful. We see that the, the hits just kind of keep coming for Joseph when she wrongly accuses him of attempting to rape her. And in doing so, we see that this greatly angers her husband and winds up Joseph being in jail. But again, we see that God is still with Joseph. In chapter 39, uh, over in verse 21, we read, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed Joseph's hand, uh, to Joseph's hand, all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look and do anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So again, we see that God is still with him. He's placed in charge of these other prisoners. And in fact, he's done so with complete trust. You think of that. If a warden was to go into a jail and pick out one of the prisoners and say, hey, I'm going to make you in charge of this place. Well, we would really kind of expect a riot. We would expect these guys, okay, all right. One of our own's in charge now. We're getting out of here. We're going to overthrow this place. But that's not what happens under Joseph's watch. We see his integrity and the fact that he, that he truly is a hard worker in this sense. And we see that he prospers under this new role again, a role given to him by God. And this is where we start to see him become an interpreter of dreams. Joseph is completely forgotten, but because of this interpretation, we see him remembered. He, he interprets the dreams of the butler and of the baker, if we remember, he tells, he tells the, the butler that you're going to be set free. And he tells the bakers says, it's not going to end so well for you. You're going to be put to death. But remember me, is what he tells to the butler. Remember me when, when, when you're set free. And we see again, things just don't seem to go well for Joseph. His interpretations come true. You would think that the butler, how could he ever forget the man who foretold that I was going to be set free, but yet... When he gets set free, we see in uh, uh, verse 23, that the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Forgot the man that told him while he was in in darkness, don't worry, you're going to be saved. Forgot all about him. But he continues on, and he interprets now the dreams of the Pharaoh. There's a time when the Pharaoh has these dreams, and the butler finally remembers Joseph. And he says, I know a guy that can can interpret these dreams, but what's really interesting is, is through all of this, he never takes credit for any of the interpretations. Starting with the butler and, and the and the baker in chapter forty, verse eight, who does it he says that it belongs to the credit? They said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph says to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. And again, when he interprets the Pharaoh's dream he says so in uh, Genesis 41 looking over in verse 16 so Joseph answered Pharaoh saying it is not in me god will give Pharaoh an answer of peace and again in verse 25 then Joseph said to the Pharaoh the dreams of Pharaoh are one god has shown Pharaoh what he is what he is about to do and then in verse 32 And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. In all these instances, Joseph is giving credit where credit is due. He is saying that it's not him that can do these amazing things, even though it would be such a benefit to him if he could just take credit for this and and that's going to get me right out of here. That's going to get me to where I need to be. A lot of times we might see that with someone who is being greedy. But not Joseph. Joseph says, no, this is not my work. This is God's work. He's, I'm just showing you what God has said. <clears throat> so we see Joseph now. He's been falsely accused. But if we go back further than that, he's been hated by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery. He's been falsely accused and forgotten. We might wonder, well, why even bother Why bother continuing in in being righteous? But Joseph, he maintains his integrity. And and, and we see that even though he was forgotten by man, he was never truly forgotten by God. Just as he found favor in the eyes of Potiphar and favor in the keeper of the prison, we see that eventually he finds favor in the eyes of the Pharaoh. And that leads us to the third phase of Joseph's life. Joseph as a prince in Egypt. We see that at the age of 30, if you want to turn over to Genesis 41 and and look in verses 38, uh, specifically in verse 40 though, um, we see at the age of 30, Joseph is finally exalted to the rule of Egypt. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget that. that no, Not only did he find favor in in Pharaoh's eyes, but he was lifted up to the point where Pharaoh said, you're over all of Egypt. The only thing you're not over is me. Everything else you're over. In fact, here's my ring. Take my ring, if you want to do something, you signify it as if I said it. You have all the authority, I want you to run the country, so to speak. And you kind of think, uh, if if somebody was to come to you in today's day and age and said, I'm giving you the power uh, of the presidency and and of the House and the Senate, I'm giving you the, the power of everything and you can run the country. Me, I would probably say no. I don't want that power, but but for some that might be an opportunity to really let things go to their head. But again, we don't see this in Joseph. In fact, what we see is wisdom, wisdom manifested in, in, under his administration. In verses uh, forty-seven through forty-nine of, of chapter forty-one, we read that we see the wisdom that he showed and the foresight during the years of plenty. In verse forty-seven, we read now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth excuse me, ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were on the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up every, uh, in every city the foods of the field which surrounded them. So we see that in this time of plenty, Joseph uses his wisdom to, to start gathering together food and to start hoarding up because he knows he believes in God and he trusts what God says is true. He knows there's going to be a time coming when they're really going to need this. And so we see that time come, and in this year of famine, we see Joseph really show off some really good ability to, to make money. Make money for the king, and, and, and practices shrewdness, really. What well, we see in verses 53-57, uh, through then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt, and, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and the Pharaoh says to, he said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. Uh, So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the land. So we see at this point now that because of Joseph's wisdom and hoarding up all this food, now it has become to be profitable. But it goes on. It's not just money that he was able to obtain. If we look over in chapter 47 and start reading in verse 13, we see now there was no bread in all the land for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan um, for the grain which they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And so when the money failed in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, uh, give us bread for why should we die in, our pres- in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So we see Joseph continuing to use his wisdom. Once the money had run out, he says, Give me, give me cattle, give me your, cro- uh, your, your, your cows, your, your horses, goats, sheep, whatever you have as far as livestock, bring it to me. But all along, he's mindful of one thing. He's mindful of God's blessing. He knows That all this stuff, the interpretations, they came from God. The the prophet, the wisdom, all of this comes from God. And he says so back in chapter 41. In verse 50 we read, "...And to Joseph was born two sons before the years of famine came, uh, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him." Now here in verse 51 we see, "...Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh." For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Now when we first read that, we might think, well, that's, that sounds kind of bitter. I, I, I'm naming my son a, a, a name that signifies God has made me forget my family. He's made me forget where I come from. But when we remember exactly what it is He has come from, we see that that was a blessing. It was a blessing not to remember and deal with the pain that he felt of being cast away from his family, from his brothers, losing his father, his kindred, his land, his home. Losing all that. What a wonderful blessing it was to, to not live with that pain every single day. Now he looked at that and, and saw that as a blessing. And then going on in 52, we see the name of his second son uh, was called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of, our, of my affliction. So, we see that through everything, uh, Joseph was mindful that it was God who was blessing him. And then finally, in verse 42, we see that Joseph is reunited with his brothers. And I don't know about you, but Joseph's reaction when he is finally reunited with his brothers is probably not reflective of my natural reaction that I would first have. I think of my brother, When, when we were younger, he hit me and I hit him back. He pushed me and I pushed him back. And usually I try to do it a little bit harder than he did it to me. But that's not what we see with Joseph. We see Joseph who's finally reunited with his brothers and we see forgiveness. We see complete and total forgiveness. In fact, he forgives them so much and then he says, I'm going to take care of you. And he arranges for them to live in Goshen as we can read in in chapter 46. And, And he reassures them multiple times. He says, I have forgiven you. Uh, the first time he reassures them in uh, verses in genesis forty five in genesis forty five and verse four Joseph said to his brothers, "Please come near to me, so they came near and he says and he said, "I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life for these two years. the famine have been in the land, and there are are still five years in which they will be neither excuse me, which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by the great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his houses and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. We can really see Joseph here, a time when he can say, "You did this, and you know what it's going to come back to haunt you." Uh, you're going to have to live with the consequences of what you've done. But that's not what he says. He said he tells them, yes, you did this, but it's okay. I forg- I'm going to take care of you. He doesn't necessarily come out and say the words, I forgive you, but we can see that they truly have been forgiven for what they've done. They've been forgiven and not been given what they deserve. But that's not the only time that he says this. in verse In chapter 50, Near the end of Genesis, he tells them again when his father Jacob dies. In verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brother and their sins. For they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of the servants... Uh, of the god of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said behold we are your servants. And Joseph said to them do not be afraid for I am for am I in the place of God? I can almost imagine Joseph saying didn't you hear me the first time? Weren't you listening? You don't have anything to fear. It's not my place to reason, you know to get revenge on you. He says, "But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about in order to to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones." And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. When we think of what it is they did to him, we think of how they, they really—they murdered him. They took his name and, and they made it as, as if he was dead. His father thinking he was dead. His whole family thinking that he had been dead. They deserved so much more. And yet we see him here in, in verse 21 comforting them and speaking kindly to them. This wasn't a man that resented them for what they had done. This was a man that believed in the providence of God. This was a man who saw that God can make good things come out of evil situations, as he said in verse 20 there of of chapter 50. And he saw that God was able to keep His promises that He had made to His people. So in the life and the story of Joseph, we see the value of a character who who had uh, centered his life in faith and trust in God a character who had devoted himself to serving God and serving man with honor and dependability. He was unwilling to be deterred by the hatred and the betrayal of others, and he was was unable to be deterred by the fact that he was simply just forgotten, left to rot in a jail. We also see that he was willing to forgive those who had committed wrongs against him, and he was able to see the big picture in this life. He was able to see God's wonderful workings in the affairs of men. So this noble character can be useful under all seasons of our life. No matter what season of life we're in, whether, whether it be in our youth, when we are tempted and, and tried, and sometimes we might look around and think, well, there's just no help for me. But we can remember the, the, the example that Joseph set for us. Or later on in our maturi- maturity, when, when we have much more important responsibilities in our life. We can see how Joseph handled those responsibilities. Handled them with, with dependability. Handled them with trust. And even as an aged person. And when Joseph said these words to, to his brethren, he wasn't probably too far himself from dying. In fact, later on in that chapter, we, we do read of him passing away. And yet, he still is showing us exactly what it is that, that a man of God, should, the attributes that his character should carry. In fact, even though it doesn't mention him by name, <clears throat> a verse that makes me think of Joseph is 1 Timothy 4. and Chapter 4 and verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. That's what Joseph was. He was an example. So tonight... I ask each of you to look at yourself. Can you be described in 1 Timothy 4.12? Can you be described as an example unto others? And maybe there are those that have the desire to become a child of God. Maybe you haven't taken that step yet and would be interested in doing so. Maybe you haven't yet chosen to be forgiven of your sins. Why wait? What's the purpose of waiting? What's the purpose of putting off? Because the fact is, if you die in your sins, if you die not being a child of God, you're lost. So whether it be your purpose to, to become a Christian and to put that old man away, to, to start a new life uh, in, in service to God, or whether there just be some need that us the, the members here, the saints here at this congregation can help you with, I encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing the Song of invitation.